0: welcome to the Gig Stories podcast with me, Chris
1: Payne. And me, Alex Winters. Welcome, welcome. Okay, no messing about here. I'm going straight in. Since the last episode, Chris, over the past couple of days, gigs are being announced. And by that, I mean festivals have uh, announced themselves. Some festivals have rescheduled dates. Artists, bands are uh, announcing rescheduled dates and I just don't know how excited I should be.
0: You don't know where to put yourself, do you?
1: No, no, I don't <laughs> because I am so, like uh, me and my 14 year old daughter, Grace, we were looking at Neighbourhood Festival, which is a festival local to us here in the Northwest. And we were looking at the lineup and we were just hugging and jumping around thinking we might actually see Sam Fender in September because we've yeah. been trying for two years now. and. I just don't know how excited to be. Uh, temper my excitement. All right, I'm lying. I am really excited, okay, and I'm purposely playing it down. But please tell me how are you feeling about uh, potential live gigs again, Chris?
0: I am cautiously optimistic. I, I have, I have doubts. I have doubts about some of the early um, gig dates or festivals. I think that. Summer certainly June July. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, it. Um, but I think it's good news if it's start of start of uh, autumn. Um, but I suppose it's all dependent. They're, these are kind of best case scenario things. So um, I know we were not one to get all political and stuff. Um, so we won't. Um, but uh, yeah, you it's not. a. But it's <laughs> it's just about. Uh, no, and we haven't even talked about the headliner of Neighbourhood Festival either. Well, no, um,
1: Saturday night, Ian Brown has been replaced by your absolute favourites, James. And so that Saturday night now is James, Sam Fender, and one of my all-time favourites, Shed 7. The Sheds. I could I could do a little wee just thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're on Zoom and not in the same room
1: well <laughs> well, you can see they can't the, <laughs> the other thing i'm thinking about that i keep thinking is will it also be different with outdoor gigs to indoor gigs so um i think i may have said already that at the moment the only indoor gig ticket i have is uh for october and it's Turing breaks at manchester cathedral and i'm thinking oh well is 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 a festival more likely to go ahead than an indoor one around that? There's so much to think about.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm not thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I think I'd got tie myself up in knots if
1: I thought too hard about it. You can try and be, you know, Mr. Common Sense there. You are thinking about it because it means you're going to be back in the... Uh, Photography, camera pit, whatever you call it, and and I'll be an old man in the mosh pit with the kids. No,
0: I know, and I was I was thinking about um, having a look at all the gigs that are coming up in Manchester and looking at uh, you know sorting out photo accreditation and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering if I'm just setting myself up for a fall there, and so I should maybe just I, I might just give it a week, have a, okay. a put, put, put some things in in light pencil rather than biro, okay, and um, and then see where we are in a week.
1: I think there's something though that we can both agree on that we have discovered through the lockdown is that when you get back to music gigs and sort of new accreditation, you will need a plus one so that I can carry all your bags. Cause we have realized that you, Oh you, you've let your, your biceps and your triceps go a bit. You're a little bit weak and feeble now. So you're going to need someone strapping. They're not available. So me, I can carry your, your, your camera bags. That's,
0: we can that's feeble. Okay, Uh. not well, okay. Yeah, I mean, I've got a bit of a dodgy back sometimes. Um, we'll use that, we'll go with that. We'll go with
1: that. He's got, he's got a dodgy, oh no, we can't go with that because uh, I mean, my back is even dodgier. That'll look pathetic. <laughs> yeah, Two bad bags. He's let us both in. Yeah, <laughs> oh god. Wait. I can't wait. Anyway, have we got an episode? Oh, sorry, yeah.
0: sorry. Have we got an episode? Ask more like it. He's so professional.
1: Yeah. We have got an episode. And speaking of live gigs, um, this episode today is with the beautifully sublime Catherine Williams, who has been performing throughout the lockdown. She's been performing online gigs on her Facebook and Instagram page. And I, I tune in regularly. I listened last night. Um, in fact, last night's was a belter and i think you can watch them so if you're listening to this when we re- release this episode you may still have a few days to watch it because get this chris last night Catherine covered uh, she had a bit of a, a trip up bristol uh, thing going a on bristol she, vibe yeah yes it was amazing and, and i i nearly cried uh, she did uh, teardrop uh by massive attack and glory box by portishead and she's just been Brilliant. And we speak about her uh, her online performances. We also speak about what it's like to be uh, pregnant and touring as a mother and um being managed by oh what's that guy's name now?
0: Alan McGee. Oh that's right, Alan McGee. <laughs> Alan McGee, and she was managed by him for for a good a good while, a few a good few years. And we also mm-hmm. talked to her about um nerves and well, not so much yeah. stage fright, but just kind of how, how how to handle nerves and how she she did it, and um, yeah. we'll m- maybe talk about that after the the episode because that's that that's something that I know that I've certainly um, experienced as, as a musician. Oh, yeah.
1: um, more, more importantly, though, Chris, what, what what's the one thing that comes up? Shawaddy wadi. Shawaddy
0: wadi, yeah. Um, again, two episodes in a row, uh, and I. I'll be very surprised if it comes up in episode four, but, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, I might just bring it up just because, and um, then we'll get somebody off Shiawadiwadi to to guest on the show. Um, One last thing we did talk about was um, Catherine's first novel, um, which I know she is signing copies of as we speak um, for the first tranche of... of, um, of mailouts, and um, so her, her first novel, *The Armouring Tide*, um, which has de- been described as brooding and astonishing, and it does look amazing,
1: very uh, much like yourself.
0: Brooding and astonishing.
1: Yes, it's how you uh, it's how I regularly describe you. I'll be honest, Chris. Yeah, you. and
0: as a puny weakling as well. So uh, as, yeah, yeah
1: but only so we can get into gigs.
0: It's it's a heady if, mix, isn't it?
1: If people could see you
0: oh god (laughs) nobody needs that anyway let's get on with the episode here we are with episode number three it is catherine
1: williams
0: catherine williams enjoy
1: Okay, so on Gig Stories today, we've got English, although I like to say Scouse, (laughs) singer-songwriter, who today has released 14 studio albums, has written uh, and played with uh, loads of artists, and was nominated for the 2000 Mercury Music Prize with her second album, Little Black Numbers. It's my favorite daughter of a uni friend. Catherine william
0: <laughs>
1: oh, when you said favorite
2: then i was like wow how big is this gonna get But <laughs> well, no it's because of good old mark <laughs> mark and dave for
1: uni <laughs> well do you know what for chris as well probably and for anyone listening it was actually i was in i, I went to liverpool to university and um you know, I had a great time there, but also had a great musical time there. Saw so many great gigs, and uh, one of my one of my mates, uh, <laughs> one of my mates <laughs> in uni, um, who were, who like me was also a mature student, um, <laughs> was very quick to lovingly boast about her daughter. Well, my daughter's a musician, and she's got she's got an album, and I. I was given that album and I instantly fell in love uh, with Dog Leap Stairs. And I'm going to be completely honest here, Catherine. I listened to it twice today and I had to to stop because, you know, we all have those albums that absolute mark a time. I had smells, feelings, feelings. Uh, emotion, everything that immediately took me back to being a student in Liverpool, and there's this, there's, there's three albums that do that for me in those Liverpool years, and Dog Leap Stairs, that first album for yours, is one of them, and it just made me so emotional. Um, the, the difference between that and how you sound now, you still have that beautiful voice, but it just seems so, so sort of inexperienced and fragile, and just got so emotional So well, that's it was I, uh, <laughs> oh. yeah it's just the most it still is for me one of the most brilliant albums um and i was one of those sados in 2000 that when you were nominated with little black numbers i'm like yeah but what about the first album what about the first album? <laughs> I like
2: their earlier stuff.
1: <laughs> you sold out. I'll be honest. Oh God, victory Prize. I remember saying with your mum, she's changed, hasn't she? She's yeah, great.
2: yeah. She's changed her. It's changed her. This not quite fame. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that that Chris, that's that's actually how I I came to know Catherine, and then it was really lovely because. I was there meeting other people especially in my favorite record shop back in Cardiff and it was a girl called Grace and um she was like oh, Catherine Williams I just love Catherine Williams I said yeah yeah she's a really really good friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Wow
0: what? you're su- you're such an ass
1: <laughs> It was 99 Chris I had to to try and look cool To to Grace in Spiller's records Oh my god
2: If that's what what Made you cool I've never been cool I can't (laughs) believe someone was trying to be cool By trying to mention me That's like (laughs) I feel sorry for you now
1: (laughs) (laughs) You always have (laughs) this <laughs> time you set eyes on me, that poor little Welshman. So Eddie Catherine, thank you, thank you so, so much for spending time with uh, with Chris and I. We really appreciate that. Um and especially at the moment, we've gotta mention it, because you are, if I'm not mistaken, spend a lot of time promoting your first book. Is that right?
2: Yeah, my novel, my debut novel is coming out in March. And um I'm excited about it. It's, uh, I sort of did it secretly for like five years, um, trying to learn on the job and not telling anyone in case I failed. And I yeah. thought, um, yeah, so it's, but it's, I'm really pleased. I got an agent, I got a deal, and now I've got a book.
0: Oh, tell so... us about the book. Come on, tell us. Go on.
2: Okay, Elevator Pitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it's... Uh, it's a d do- oh wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I'll just uh lean over. Because I do Patreon. I've started reading the chapters um to the to my patrons like like you would do in a Jack and Ori way. Excellent. Um so it says uh the Armoring Tide is a coming of age story set amidst a dark series of darkly foreboding events. Roselle lives with her triple older brothers and her parents in the bay of a small island. One of her brothers goes missing, and the family's landlord is implicated as the menacing truths are discovered. The island is rich with nature, and the islanders' lives and the steady passing of the seasons contrast sharply with the realities of violence and inevitable revelations. There
0: we go. Oh, I'm That's... sold. I am sold. That you know, I'm not... I'm such a mean dad that um when when Gabe, my son, um says, "Daddy, I, I had a, a really weird dream last night." I'd say, "Okay, elevator pitch." And because you know, <laughs> you know how d- stories about dreams are only interesting to the person who's telling you the story about their dreams. And so it's just Elevator pitch. And I've sold it as, you know, this is... You've now learned about elevator pitches. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> that, that book sounds amazing. I am a mean dad, aren't I? That's, that's really
1: bad parenting. You know what? No, I think I just... it's good. You've mentioned Gabe there. And for the listener, and for you as well, Catherine, you may hear a fluttering of music in the background of this. And that's actually chris's son gabe who's 10 years old and is a really talented uh young musician and that's him practicing and i think we rightly made the decision to not tell him to shut up because this is all about live music this podcast so this could be in the future chris i reckon in five ten years people listening to this going no way is that gabe payne playing in the background <laughs> just well, listen
2: just listen beyond the inane chattering of some adults at the genius going on behind.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Well the the their music you you your son George and my son um, Geek, yeah, yeah. they they do the, the incidental music in this podcast.
1: So um yeah That's right. Yeah that is right. We're putting them we're putting them to work, Catherine. Well
2: I think I think he's looking for um uh like musician union rates because like you've given him incidental music of like 5 seconds on this episode he's going to be <laughs> but i was playing all the way through i need my proper hourly rate oh,
1: <laughs> oh don't true. tell tom gray this don't tell tom gray he'll be all over i'll be he all over to get on his prs forms oh god <laughs> <laughs> so apart from uh, uh, apart from writing the book uh, i have noticed been it's been interesting to see over the past year how musicians have fared and what they've done um some have just admittedly done nothing at all and not felt any pressure uh some uh, have pursued other avenues and what i like is that you you set up uh, a patreon and you've been doing live gigs on instagram
2: Ah, uh, so my, i started the patreon before the pandemic started which was kind of lucky really because it's really kept me going like for the core fans they pay a monthly fee and i send them songs they can't get anywhere else and photos and letters and little hand painted paintings that i've been doing over the years
1: hang on um, photos
2: Should oh not those photos. sort of
1: photos <laughs> Just hey, like, I, pic-
2: I didn't just see like, a pic- kind
1: of photo, but I, I just want to know what. No, photo. Like,
2: uh, oh, like just like, pi- like pictures of like uh, me in the studio, and then a little letter, or like a video of me chatting to them in the car waiting for my son's taekwondo meeting. So it's kind of quite behind the scenes and personal. But when I say photos, it's not like, not like full. <laughs> frontals or anything I didn't
1: say that Catherine Millions I well they'd have, have to
2: get they'd have to pay more than £4.50 a month <laughs> if that was the content <laughs> or maybe less than £4.50 a month because I mean I don't think there is much market for that area <laughs> area, area oh my god well this has descended really quickly hasn't it
0: <laughs> that didn't take long at all <laughs>
2: make so, a CBeebies presented flush <laughs> yeah that makes it
0: worse doesn't it
2: yeah yeah and the fact the fact that you jumped straight on that makes me now think that headlines are gonna be CBeebies <laughs> interested interested in in gaming ge- in gaming in, <laughs> in, gaining Act,
0: Patreon. in,
2: yeah, <laughs> in her in her
1: Patreons <laughs> sorry this is getting ridiculous I was thinking more grief you you're you're an amazing musician and then you happen to drop in that you've got a novel and I honestly was thinking you you drop you're an artist I know that you fantastic painter I'm thinking a photographer as well you're like taking the piss that's what I was thinking you know leave some talent for the rest of us
2: jack of all trades and master of none i think i just i just really like i just like creating and i just find it it compelling and that's why i carry on so i mean actually saying that when the lockdown first happened all my friends were doing online gigs and doing stuff and i was absolutely paralyzed by just the situation we were in as As humans, and I, and I just felt I was in the eye of the storm, and there was no way that I could make or create or write or even sing, and um, it was it was really. I didn't know quite how I was going to get out of it, and um,
0: how long did that last?
2: It lasted quite quite a few months, Mm -hmm. and it and it was and it was sort of compounded by the fact that I just kept seeing more and more of my friends connecting. And I was like, well, I can't do that. I'm not. And then I read a Nick, I get the red letters, you know, Nick Cave's um, subscription. Yeah. And, I, and I read one of those, which was saying, uh, it's fine. If you're in the middle of a crisis, you don't have to be the person, there's bigger things going on. And that was really good. And when I read that, I thought, oh, well, maybe it's not about me. Maybe it's about connecting. So I learned my mum and dad's, well, one of my mum's favourite songs, which is um, a Dr Hook song, Sylvia's oh, Mother. Sylvia's Mother. So I, le- I learned that and I just FaceTimed them and did, uh, and sang that song just to them because I was really missing them. It was like my best gig ever because the two of them had their arms up in the air and like my mum was crying and my dad was singing along, and then it was really hard to even concentrate finishing the song. Mm. And they were so happy with it that I thought, oh well, that's that's what it's about. I've just got to get over myself, and what it's about is connecting. So after that, then I felt like I could say yes to the plethora of um, like gig online gigs and charity things that I'd been asked to do.
1: Did you feel that it was, that your, you said your friends, you felt like they were connecting. Do you mean musician friends connecting with their yeah. audience?
2: Well, just, just being out there, because I watched a lot of them. I felt like, oh, there's things happening. You know, like, this is my job. That's what I should be doing. I should be doing gigs. I should be singing to people. But I just couldn't. And actually... This whole year has been a really important thing because I never thought I was someone who would do like shows online, like Instagram or like Facebook or Zoom or things like that. It just never really occurred to me. Um, and so,
0: how have they been going? Because obviously they're worlds removed from a normal gig. But are there any positives that you get that you wouldn't get with a, a gig that was actually in front of real? people in the same room
2: well it's be, it's become absolutely brilliant and it's something uh, so I, I do them on a thursday uh, on instagram and this tonight i'm doing half of it on facebook and half of it on instagram because i realized that all my fans are on facebook and i've been doing it on instagram for months mm. and months <laughs> and i did <laughs> i did a test on facebook last friday without lipstick on and it got like thousands of views and i was like Fuck's sake, I've been putting lipstick on, on Instagram every week. Um but uh, it's I've I've grown to love it and it's done so much for me. So I do it as a request show. So people give me covers that I have to learn and songs from the back catalogue which I haven't played for months and months.
0: And is that just to keep it interesting or is it just what 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 was the decision-making process there?
2: Well, so that I had something to do. So I have to learn songs of mine that I've never played before and songs for other people. And it means that people who request it, then I can say, oh, this is for whoever. And then they get this, that this connection starts to happen. And so the weirdest thing is that my job, apart from photo shoots and videos, which I absolutely hate, I've had to sort of see my own face... (laughs) At these gigs <laughs> um, which is like pretty horrific, but the good news is is that there 's chat over my face, which is normally and and that 's been a different thing because you don 't get chat in that same way at the gig. you know if people don 't really talk at my gigs and if they do, they get shushed or something, yeah. but on this i 'll be singing and they 'll be chatting amongst each other, and then on the screen it 'll have like um oh, we saw you in, da, da, da. And then someone will be like, oh, I was there. What row were you in? And and so it's the other people all start to get this. It's a new layer of the people in the audience are connecting with each other and then they come back each week. And yeah, it's, there's been some weeks where I haven't wanted to do it and I've done it and I feel like loads better after it. And yeah. other weeks where, you know, I've had a really good one and then people have called and said, I look forward to this, so I don't know. It's just it's it's something that's driven me forward, and I get to have that time to concentrate on music. So yeah, it's been great, and I love it. I really love it now. It's special.
1: I I love them, and um, you know, I I've I've noticed that interaction as well on the Instagram. It's really cute seeing people pop up, and I'd put a couple of comments, and and people were straight. Uh, immediately replying to me, oh, yes, this is great. And of course, I stamped my authority and said, whoa, I saw her in a bar in Chester in 99. Back, up. Back <laughs> off. Back <laughs> off. Take a look at this tattoo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm in between... Picture.
2: My, just I I just pull my cheeks apart. If you can see her face, (laughs) (laughs) she's singing.
0: So um, I'm gonna take you right back now and ask about when you were growing up was there music in the house was there um a lot of gig going or concert going um that you and your family did what was the, what was yeah, the set uh
2: so. Um, before I was born My dad was in a band A folk band called The Abbey Folk And um, when he left As the lead singer uh, Willie Russell took over his job In Hello. that band And uh, he gave all that up You know being a dad Needing to make money and stuff And But he used to have friends round So we, me and my sister would sit on the stairs And listen to them singing folk songs When they'd all hang out together um, and so yeah, I I would listen to a lot of their records. Um, I'd listen to a lot of like Janis Joplin, Bob Dylan, loads of Paul Simon, um, and um, my gran had like a dance set thing that she gave to me, and I used like to the listen to a all... little
0: record player, the yes. Player.
2: So I had her dance set and her teas made in my room, in my bedroom growing up, thinking I was some sort of independent uh, woman. (laughs) And you (laughs) you were. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I would listen to a lot of like, she had Nina Simone and Joan Bias and things. So I'd listen to that stuff. Yeah. Um, But gigs, my first gig was Shawadi Wadi at the... um, it was a. It was called the Pavilion, Bright, New Brighton Pavilion, and my yeah. mum and dad gave the us world. a surprise. Yeah, so mum and dad gave us the surprise. We arrived at the New Brighton Pavilion, and they were like, "We're going to see Shawaddy Waddy. and we were <laughs> very, very excited about that. And um, and I remember, it, it was. I think I was about eleven, and it was like it was a sort of sexual awakening <laughs> because there was like what? I don't know if you remember this about shwadi Wadi but they used to wear they used to wear like suit jackets but then their trousers were like leggings and then um, oh, I just declined that sorry it's my mum again um,
1: <laughs> I love that <laughs> she's, like,
2: she's like why have you declined me um, <laughs> I'm talking <because> about <laughs> <these> pants man. <laughs> yeah so so yeah there were, i remember distinctly when i went and got my autograph and i still have the photo with all of the signatures from shawadi wadi no way um, i do yeah yeah not here it's you not here not, i don't know where you, it is
1: do you have the ticket stub uh
2: i don't think i have the ticket stub but i definitely have the photo with the with with all of the signatures on
1: i think chris that might be better than the ticket stub so so catherine chris and i both realized that um being the geeks we are we both have scrapbooks that we've kept um and most of them are are, a 90s chris has got a lot from um more recent times as well uh, of all our ticket stubs and so we've been discovering what our earliest first ticket stub is um and Shawadi Wadi, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that Clint Boone's first gig as well?
0: It wasn't his first gig, but it, he was a big um, Shawadi Wadi fan. And then, um, and then Punk came along, and Shawadi Wadi got left in the dust. So, quite, so I
2: quite like the idea that like it's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon if you speak to every single person who's a musician from now on and Shawaddy Waddy is the <laughs> only thing that links them all it would be yeah. so brilliant.
0: Uh, Well, that's one, one degree of
1: shawaddy waddy (laughs) from (laughs) Byrne. Yes, Yes. Uh, but I think that might be even better than Ticket Stub is having the signed photograph from that first gig. Can you, can you remember much about that gig or would you be lying? Like, can you remember how it felt and was it exciting and the colours, the sound, or do you not remember much about it?
2: I remember that we were told to go and meet them at the front and it was one of like I had to walk past um, lots of people down. It was like one of those big theatres and you had to walk away and then I I got really scared thinking how am I going to find my mum and dad again and that was (laughs) like that took over everything else but yeah they were they were like in they were in really coloured suits and yeah. Yeah. Oh, me and my sister just kept like laughing at the trousers and I just remember that really that's what I remember really really giant balls in tight trousers and I think and I think I was about you know I was quite we were quite they were talking to us from sort of side of the stage so I think my head my 12 year old head was like directly sort of in yeah in the, in the and and it whoever was in the red trousers had the biggest balls <laughs> so I've never actually spoken about this before and like maybe I should have waited and got therapy first well, before Alex mentioning lost it, it on a zoom
0: I think we're going to have to give Alex a couple of minutes just to, because he's just got shawaddy waddy balls in his, in his head no.
1: I'm going to google him I want to see the red one
0: I've, I'm, I'm on already, I'm just having I'm a look yeah <laughs>
1: So, title I can't believe it's going to be called Schwaddy Waddy's Balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, this Where is this so? Um, was that. <laughs> About- <laughs> I can't
2: believe like I'm on I'm on a podcast to talk about music and it always happens to me. I you know, I want to talk about like, you know, how much I love Jenny Mitchell and Bob Dylan and like, yeah, you know. No, 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 no. And all of that stuff happens and then what happens is I end up talking about shawadi Wadi's balls. balls. Ah. Ah, it's a bit depressing. Well-
1: give them the respect they deserve that's what i say so, so i've just so, found one
0: image and i um, that image is going to stay with me for a while so, <laughs> um we'll maybe post that on
1: the on the website well, or well, catherine has got you know catherine has got the photo somewhere so you, you know, we'll <laughs> sign photo so was that then the the first of sort of regular gigs and by the way new brighton pavilion you know that's still going isn't it as a venue i i, I believe
2: yeah yeah i mean shawadi wadi is probably still playing there Probably. <laughs> so i used to go uh we used to go to we used to go to loads of um uh everyman like shows that you know the theater because like oh, yeah. lots of that had live music and yeah. that was a big part of our growing up really um and then but then I was sort of I was sort of like teenager, it was a lot of indie bands, um but it was like discs like we used to go to clubs and dance to stuff like I remember I'd go to the cavern and I would always ask for the sugar cubes um yes. song hit. hit. And that was my song that I would ask for. Yeah. Which is so weird now all these years later being on Bjork's label and
1: feels mad yeah Yeah. oh of course
2: yeah 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 and all of the sort of brit pop stuff because i was managed by alan mcgee for like eight years Mm. um and uh so i was i I went to a lot of gigs um but don't have ticket stubs because i'd get in you know because you were on the guest
1: list yes
2: yeah 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 (laughs) but um that sounds much more sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, knobby, mic drop knobby than it actually was. No, I mean, no. the number of times I was backstage at a Libertines gig and, um, and like looking for a reason to leave so I could go home to bed. And one time I remember talking because the drummer's <laughs> so lovely in that band. And we used to chat yeah. loads. Yeah. Lovely. And um, he's so nice. He's so yeah. nice. And then there was like a lot of strange, what you can imagine going on backstage at one of those gigs. And they were saying, oh, stay, stay. And I was like, I've been gardening all day. (laughs) I've got really, and uh, I've forgotten to feed the cat. I'm just going to go home, feed the cat and go straight to bed.
1: (laughs) So yeah, those
2: those days.
1: William's backstage at Libertine gigs. Is just, uh, how did I not know that about you? I mean, that is, that is, (laughs) that is quite brilliant. So (laughs) so you jump from Shawaddy Waddy to backstage with the Libertines. I love it. Yeah. What, what do you class or can you remember, you know, specifically as your, your own first gig as a musician, as Catherine Williams?
2: Um... Well I did a gig at the Tyne Theatre in Newcastle supporting a band called The White Fence. I can't remember what happened to them, but um
0: they they should I... have been a lot bigger with that name, really. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's pick it for that hey, <laughs> anyway, oh. no, no. um so and for that that was my big first gig. And what I did for that was I made fifty CDRs and I hand painted uh, each cover and letter the cover, which
1: Amazing.
2: took so much time. Anyway, so somewhere in the world there's fifty copies of that very. F- I sold all fifty in the gig, and wow, then
0: that's great. Just
2: yeah, and then just after that. Um, uh, I got interest from London Records at the time and I went in to do my demos which I'd asked them if I didn't want to sign with them would they give me them and half of that is Dog Leap Stairs so that yeah. was a really seminal time really for me.
1: And what what year would that have been?
2: I think that was 98.
1: Right okay. Um, because then Dog Leap says you released in 99.
2: Didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it all happened really quickly. I mean, that was yeah. part of the the problem of, of my um, agoraphobia and stage fright and passing out early on that like the first five years of my career, I, I used to sit down to play because I would black out all the time with nerves.
0: Wow, is it it sp- yeah. as serious as that?
2: yeah really really bad.
0: So how did you manage to overcome that? Um,
2: and I get asked this quite a lot uh, because well I don't know why but I just kept on playing and, uh, and kept on turning up even though it was horrific. I mean when the Mercury thing happened I was just I was just a terrible terrible wreck of um, I mean I couldn't really speak to people I found it just such self-hatred on stage thinking that paranoia thinking that people were going to laugh at me and that people were going to tell me that I shouldn't be there because I wasn't qualified just massive imposter syndrome Mm. and also just just like proper like blind fear of anything and everything that could happen um I don't know so I remember when that that stage fright started to dissipate was when I was on this really big tour supporting Ray Lamontagne he was playing big venues and I was pregnant not by him (laughs) and um (laughs) and uh he was really tired because he'd done a world tour and I was like really hormonal. So I was like mothering him. So every night I'd put something different in his dressing room to cheer him up. So it would be like tea bags, Yorkshire tea or Tunnock's tea tech cakes or, you know, and, and the band started to get really excited with what would be in the room each each night. It was really good fun. And um, but I remembered that my fear had started to go and I realized that there was something more important than me and my ego and fears. And there was something growing inside me and how the hell was I going to get it out? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think it was just, you know, so when people, when men ask me, Oh, I've got that. How do I get over it? I haven't really got good advice because telling them to have, to get pregnant you know <laughs> mate <Might.
1: laughs> that would have been mid mid 2000s
2: yeah yeah it's about 2006 2007
1: so off yeah. the top of my head album five six
2: yeah about about album six yeah by that time i was i was um letting people into the studio because before then the first through the first definitely the first two albums, um, I was too shy to sing in the studio with anyone else in there. Um, it was it was just it was crippling. It was really crippling.
1: And that was the same yeah. feeling as when you would walk on stage.
2: Uh, yeah, I just had a, a massive dread that. I would forget how to do it or that I would throw up or, well, I would black out, but, but, you know, things would, I just had a terrible, just a terrible, terrible fear that like, kind of a shame that I would be laughed at. Yeah. This is very, it's funny sort of thinking back on it because now I still get really nervous and mess up. But I think as soon as I realized that like owning your own vulnerability is actually like really strong then that really helps
1: that that's incredible that you would get so far into not just recorded but to a live career they took you so many years to then feel comfortable well do you even how do you feel now when you go on stage now is there any kind of comfort
2: I I love it. I I'm still scared, but I um I sort of embrace it now in a weird not sadistic way, but like I sort of I sort of feel like it's okay to not be to not be like the showman and like if I mess up or if this right. happens, I feel like the 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 audience are with me. And I felt like that with Instagram as well. There's a lot of um There's a lot of, there's a lot of warmth and I think connection really like that vulnerability is, is, is like kind of my superpower now, whereas I always tried to hide it before that.
1: So considering your, your feelings when you are playing live, do the sound of your audience, and I know they're not a raucous audience, but does that create more nerves or does it settle you? You know, whether that's the applause at the end of a song or, you know, did that help you at all? Or would you rather say, no, there's no one out there.
2: I used to be really scrutinising of what was going on and sort of read into anything so if the, so if it wasn't enough loud applause I would think that people would hate it, but they would just be inconsiderate or polite, you know? Or if um if there was talking, like I would like absolutely like hate that person and stare at them and get really like angry about it. And it's just so it's just so stupid that thought process because people have come and paid to be there but yeah it was just it was all me it was all my paranoia um and nothing to do with them I, i did i did have quite a lot of I, I do have a lot of very quirky uh, people who come to my gigs who I don't think go out a lot otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and I love them. Um, so I get sort of very interesting, um, uh, like, heckles. So that's good. Oh,
1: okay. There's no way you can say that and then me not ask you. I want your best heckles, please.
2: Um well, I remember on the South Bank, I think it was the q e h there was a woman who really just didn't want to stop uh saying things to me, but um she had done a gig and then she uh, done a song and then she sort of she sort of half stood up and she went um I heard you on the radio, <laughs> and I was like
0: <laughs> great,
2: great um and she was like i'm um." I'm Gordon Brown's press secretary, you know, and I was like, fantastic. <laughs> I'm like this is to like hundreds of people, and then I'm guessing then, she
0: wasn't Gordon Brown's press secretary. I'm just well, going to go out I, there.
2: I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't crazy. know. I don't I know. Just, just, just crazy. Crazy. Oh yeah. Um. Someone said. Um, someone shouted that they loved Joni Mitchell once in in a concert, and uh, and and I was like, "Oh, that's great." Well, have you ever been to see her live? And they said, "No, can only afford you." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: which um, which I I did like absolutely love. <laughs> that's a cracker. So yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. Take
1: that as a compliment. You know. Yeah. Gig gig tickets are very expensive, mm. but yeah. who's got an even better voice than Joni Mitchell? <laughs> it's
2: the oldie Joni. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah.
1: love that. I, I I want to I want to ask you about uh, you, you playing live because over the years I've uh, I've seen you in various incarnations. And I'm interested in that because quite often when you watch an artist live, you generally know what you're getting setup up wise. I've seen you just on your own, you and a guitar. I've seen you with you and a cello, or I've seen you with uh, two stringed instruments, or I've seen you with a, a full band. Uh, I've seen you with the crayonets, which... Um, uh, it was an incarnation of a, you and a friend started a band, which was essentially a children sort of based uh, a band for children, songs for children and family. Even though I, I listened to the album on my own, I love it. What's what's the thought process through that for that? Because that's from the very beginning. Since I saw you for the first time, how do you decide what you want when you want? Are you what do you take into consideration?
2: Um, I think it's just like the songs that I write and what they tell me they need um, Often for the instrumentation and where I feel like that's going Or if I've got a body of songs and I want to try something else Um, I've always, because, because like pop people think I'm folk um folk people think I'm pop and all of these sort of like genres really? I just yeah I completely I've never been accepted by the folk world or vice versa the pop world so I sort of fall down the back of the sofa but the good news which is 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 good except when you have algorithms like Spotify and stuff and you can't get on any sort of genre or generic lists then no. that's a pain in the ass but um I do find that um, I find that uh, it's, it's sort of freed me up. And also because I've never been in search of commercial fame and success. Um, well, I remember Alan talking to me about it, Alan McGee, when he was my manager, saying, um, he said, you've got a really, really good knack of making an album that has a sound and getting people to like that and then completely disowning them on the next album. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I think that's what I've done. I started off with like a lot of fans and then each time they think they know where they are with me, I do something else because that's interesting and I'm on a long journey of just trying to find out stuff. Um, And... I want it to be fresh and to learn new things and to work with new people. So I just make different records. I don't want to make the same record. No, so it's a slippery I
0: slope I think if you if you start going, well, what was that f- let's work out what the formula was for that that album and let's repeat it and you know, it's a real slippery slope. I think you you have to you have to look after yourself really as a, as a musician, don't you?
2: Yeah, I'm not I'm not interested in um in like trying to sort of create a brand or you know or a thing like that it's just never been it's just never I've just never well I mean I yeah I just haven't done it and I think there's lots of people who have done it and have done it successfully and without the cynicism but it's just not for me I just want to
1: live live was that was that to keep you interested or keep it exciting is that why you would uh, sort of change who you had as well do you do you have two or three arrangements of every song you know you've done because you think oh sometimes I might want to do this album with musicians or just me or was it to keep you interested and to keep it sort of fresh
2: yeah well it's just sort of happening it's falling into things and finding people that you have uh connections and relations with so I've done a lot of work with Neil McCall because we just sort of read each other really well and I love his playing and his sensibilities and he feels like family now and you know early on with the bands that we started off with like a lot of those musicians decided they wanted like real jobs or like they wanted security or they didn't want to do it anymore and you know people fall away along the along the journey and you know want to settle down or want to become teachers or you know do other things yeah um so i think like the the natural sort of relationship with musicians is one big part of it and then also taking a risk so started working with Anthony Kerr the vibraphone player he was the wild card um that Kate St John had put in on the Quickening album that right. we did all live in four days with like yeah. a brilliant band and we just didn't know if that was going to work and it was a massive risk because after four days of recording um it was that was in Im- in derwin in bethesda
1: oh um, diane i love it
2: yeah and uh after those four days if we didn't like what we'd had there was so much bleed on everything that we'd just you know that would just be all the money from the record gone but i mean luckily they were just brilliant wow. players so yeah it, it it depends you know sometimes you you just really need a break from some people that you've been on the road with for like two years and they might be the nicest people in the world but like, you know, they like sit in a van with you for seven hours and the way they smack their lips together, you just want to kill them.
0: <laughs> so, you know,
2: you do need breaks from people and you need to sort of form new friendships and relationships, yeah. Yeah
1: you must have a, a great ability to adapt because in doing that you you've got to adapt to other people's working processes and habits i'm assuming is that something yeah. you enjoy doing
2: yeah i do well so i i do a lot of co-writing now and like collaborative work and i really love that and uh I just think you get so much more, you learn so much more from seeing how someone else does it and how you show them how you do it. It's um it's like it's like when you show someone how to cook your favourite meal or something, you become sort of aware of of the things that you do and they're like, Oh, what are you doing? And oh it's just a pinch of this, but you know, you, you sort of have to explain your processes and I really enjoy that.
1: But when you perform live, then with someone new, does that give you new anxieties, or is that just something you just you just live with and you just manage?
2: Well, the the, the brilliant thing about live is that there are so many um, there's so many elements that can go right and go wrong, and like often with a good gig, um, you just you just don't always know what can make it like often when if i have a really bad um sound check i think oh it's going to be a great gig because this sound check has just been so hellish that you know but sometimes you know like it can just it can just transform you um and you can do a good gig despite of things or if all of the technical things are going right it can you can be free enough in your mind and often it's like what you're getting back from the audience there's other times when even if there was no one around there'll just be that one time where you do something with the guitarist on stage where you're doing something new and no one else will know you're doing something new but it's the playful sort of thought process between the two of you that's instantaneous and not planned and it just gives you a massive rush of joy and you come off and, and you'll both say at the same time, oh, Candy says, that was the best time we've done it on all <laughs> or something, you know, and like, and it's just like, those are the sort of joyous moments that happen. But
0: As an audience member, when you when you see that happening on stage, that's when it becomes really magical. I mean, one of my favourite bands, well, full stop, but certainly to see live, uh, are uh, Lau. Um, I don't know if you've heard them, Alex. Um, so it's Aidan O'Rourke on violin, uh, Martin Green plays accordion, and Chris Drever is, um, sings and plays guitar. And as a unit, I mean, they're fantastic, phenomenal musicians in their own right, but when they come together, there's something just magical that happens. And I've never come away from a gig that Lau have done, not been, you know, bouncing, bouncing home. Um, but they do that, you know, and you can see that as they're, they're, they're enjoying each other's playing. And um, But it's not a kind of um, noodly, wanky, thing you know they're not they're not trying to um you know outdo each other they're just enjoying making the best sound they possibly can with each other at the same time and um but yeah it's, it's great as an audience member I think
2: yeah because something happens that it, it's it doesn't become like a learned thing and it's a playful thing and it's also I mean it is like sort of seeing a stu- shooting star or something it's like a happening that mm. you're part of and you're actively involved in but it's like a relationship thing as well it's really interesting
0: yeah absolutely Um, we're going to do some um, quick fire questions which tend not to end up being particularly quick um, but we'll, we'll see how we get on. Um, so your favourite vocalist that you've seen live, who, who would that be?
2: I saw an amazing gig with Devon Sproul at the Clooney 2 um, and uh, it was for her The Gold String album and I'd seen her supporting uh, my friend Paul Smith, and I'd loved her support show. And then she came and did her own solo show the year after, and it absolutely blew me away. Like she's an amazing guitarist, and like I don't know, there was just something about that gig. It was absolutely packed, and she blew me away and it made me it was one of the first I felt so relaxed watching it because I knew she was in complete control but she wasn't like perfect it was just yeah I loved that show
1: okay I love that considering what you've told us about you what is your personal favorite gig that you've performed where you just came off and thought oh my gosh that was just it was perfect everything came together in in exactly the way you wanted
2: i don't think i've had one where everything's come together
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't believe um, that
2: but there was an amazing gig the first outdoor gig i did at the regents open air theater in london that was sort of amazing because it was the hottest day of the year the sun was coming down, I was started singing a song birds and a whole massive flock of like swans flew overhead and then (laughs) then, yeah and then a cat came into the thing and and I don't know it was just it was just one of those times where sort of nature sort of played a big part in in how it felt and it started to get cooler and as it got cooler we were doing more songs And, and then the live Hallelujah was recorded from then. And we did These Days there as well that were on the Relations album. Yes. Um, so that's kind of... A, that was a, a memorable gig.
1: It must feel so yeah. nice when those things happen. Just like, ah, oh, you are in, in yeah. everything. Yeah. The earth, the the audience. I love that.
2: Yeah. I still remember being absolutely like... Rooted to the spot with the fear that I would fuck it up, um, <laughs> so I don't think that that ever kind of leaves you, even when it's a perfect, pl- perfect
1: place.
0: Keep I trained. think it can it can help as well. I mean, I, I remember I used to play in a ska band and I used to hide <laughs> behind the speaker and the monitor just so that the audience couldn't see me. And I think so something just flipped and I went, I'm I'm gonna have this now. Do you know what I mean I was like <laughs> right I've, I've had enough of hiding I'm just gonna have it and so I, I started wearing a suit with a black tie and you know proper specials outfit <laughs> and, and <laughs> it was just a conscious decision to go right I'm, I, if I'm gonna be in a ska band I'm gonna be in a ska band and we ended up dancing about like idiots and um and look in the park.
1: So yeah, I've I've always thought, Catherine, that what you're missing from your gigs, are costume changes. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, yeah I me think too. You need more costume
1: changes for you, and descending on wires. From did from
2: you did you come from that? Did you come to that decision from the time I played at the Liverpool Philharmonic, and my uh, I was breastfeeding, and I was just like dripping everywhere. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Is it from that gig?
1: It, yeah. Aww. yeah. Aww, oh, playing as a mum. Was was that yeah. your because the next quickfire question was, Well what's your worst gig? And and worst, you know, you can interpret that any way you, you want. It is
2: I did a gig in Edinburgh, um, and it was a duet, so I was playing with Laura the Cellist and me, and it was in two halves, and it was early on where my nerves I used to think that I'd been playing for an hour and then I'd come off and the people would say you have been on fifteen minutes, and I'd be like, I'd go, thank you very much. Come up, but it was (laughs) too half, so I'd done fifteen minutes of what should have been a forty-five minute set, (laughs) and then, and I had like really bad, I had like really bad food poisoning, and I jokingly said, "We'll see you in a bit. If you want to chat to me, I'll be in the toilets." Like joking, like throwing up. And then there was someone in the toilet while I was throwing up the other side of the door going, I'm just wondering if you're going to do this, no. this. <laughs> song no. or
1: that song. No. That
2: was a pretty poor
1: one. Yeah. Things to not say at a gig when you are feeling ill that's a a nightmare that's an absolute (laughs) if you want to talk i'll be in the toilets all right come on everyone let's get (laughs) to the loo
0: (laughs) so those are both them as as a performer what about your favorite and your worst gigs as a punter i mean do you do you go Um, to a lot of a lot of gigs
2: uh Well a lot of the time I'm working and when I come home I want to be home and also a lot of the gigs that I go and see are my friends who are on tour so and that's like that's a sort of weird one because you want to see your friends and you're like yeah yeah I'll just watch the gig and then I can talk to you after.
0: (laughs) Yeah I suppose that's Um, why festivals are are good you get more of an opportunity to kind of cut loose and
2: Yeah, I do go and see music off my own back and pay for it as well. Just don't want to sound like a cheapskate. Um, uh, One of my worst gigs was I went to see... uh, I went to see Bob Dylan at Newcastle Arena and
0: uh, (laughs) it was...
2: um, Van Morrison was playing. It was like a double biller. Right. And um, it was just... It just really, really, really couldn't be fucked, and he'd been my hero for so many years, and um,
1: yeah, he's the, ulti- I was- he's the ultimate for that. Literally everyone, everyone who's ever seen Dylan or anything has that story. I've seen him a few times because I used to work at Cardiff Arena, and one of the worst gigs I've ever seen in my whole life was, you know, one of his, you can see him on a day and you're just like, Oh my gosh, it's Dylan. That is brilliant. And then the next day, he's just not bothered and it's utter rubbish. Dylan is so weird like that. Yeah.
0: I mean, for someone who writes such amazing melodies, I I saw him at at Manchester arena and I think uh, there was only one, um, Melody that I could recognise because he was just all over the place.
2: Yeah, I talked to um, I talked to uh, Leonard Cohen's tour manager, and they he said that like he was, Cohen was playing one night, and um, and he he'd been asked to go and see Dylan who was playing the next night, and he went to the show, and they had a box and everything, and then um he. He left after a couple of songs and just said, no, this isn't for me. So, yeah, really? even, even, even Leonard Cohen left.
1: <laughs> no way! That makes yeah. me feel so better about slagging off Dylan. It's yeah. not good enough for Leonard. It's not good enough for me. <laughs> well, I'll tell
2: you, this, this'll make you laugh. So I was doing the Glastonbury at the... Um, I was doing the Park Stage. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I was doing the Park Stage with Neil McCall, the year our album came out. And so Lennon Cohen, I was like, oh, we're going to get to see Lennon Cohen. We can see it from the park stage. We've got backstage driving. Anyway, uh, Suzanne comes up over the speakers and I'm like, oh, it's going to be so brilliant. And Louis at the time was a little boy and he just wanted to go back to the hotel. So um, we drove past the back of... <laughs> Of the pyramid stage with like my favourite singer, and Louis was crying. Well, what famous song? So this this <laughs> like Suzanne went like. You know, disappeared uh-huh. as the as the windows went up, and then <laughs> when you hear the five yeah, firemen,
1: solid yeah,
2: firemen. So, man. so that did make me feel like I was a good mom for for you know sacrificing that.
1: You are, um, you are, <laughs> you are. A great man.
2: Great gigs. We went to see um, Fleet Foxes with their first record. That was amazing. And it was in Newcastle. And that just was electric. Um, uh, I've seen loads of really good gigs. Um do you,
1: do you prefer seeing an artist at their own gig or at a festival?
2: Uh well I like quite like discovering things at festivals, but I think yeah. festivals are that strange dichotomy that like they're not that like it, they're really difficult for certain kinds of music if you want to sort of feel lively and stuff but you can't I don't think you can always immerse yourself in the same way for, yeah. for the sort of music I like um, so yeah I have seen some lovely mellow stuff in the afternoon on a Sunday in Glastonbury where you sit down on the grass and you know you feel like that's beautiful and I've seen you know really exciting things but I think that becomes more of a an event that music just happens to be there I think it's more about like the communion of like a mass amount of people all doing the same thing. Yeah. It's not about the intricacies of music. And I think lots of people who play uh, festivals find them really, really difficult.
1: You well, know, well, you, I know what you mean about that everyone doing it, because one of my favorite musical moments was that at Glastonbury and it was Beth Orton. And oh, yeah. know, the pyramid stage, you know, the right time. Uh, i'm almost sure i I'd, I'd happily be corrected that it was Sunday afternoon, and everyone sat down. And it was just gorgeous and it was just perfect and everything about it was just wonderful. but I can imagine it can be difficult, especially for a certain genre of of musician like like yourself you know you need to be a bit more cold play so you can headline on a sunday night that 's that's what you need. Costume changes and Chris Martin, Catherine. Come on. <laughs> Thank
2: you very much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, got to bring this to an end because uh, I would talk to you forever and ever. And oh. we, like, we like to finish by having people's uh, live album recommendations or live track. So do you listen to a lot of recorded live music, you know, live albums.
2: We've got quite a lot of older live stuff, and I've got a, a fan that um is a big bootlegger who sends me lots of rare and bootlegged stuff. So that's really good. So I've, I've heard lots of like Cohen albums and um tours of like Carol King and Joni Mitchell, Nick Drake rarities and stuff like that. So Brilliant. that's that's yeah. But um my favourite live album which I think stands on its own as a thing is the Sifjan Stevens Carrie and Low live tour
1: because yeah. I
2: love that album, but then the live version of that album is insane because you you don't think you can love in a different way, um, but you do. It's sort you, of it, it becomes quite sort of.
1: Do you prefer yeah, listening to the live version?
2: Um, I don't prefer it, but I listen to them both equally as much now. Right, okay. And like there's certain times where I, I, I think when I was driving myself around on tour, I listened to the live album loads because there's just those moments that lift off in a different way. Like the, the album itself is very intimate and it's, and it's like yeah. atmospheres and stuff, but the live one really kicks off in a live band That interaction of a live band—it's amazing.
1: I love that. We will put that as a link. Sufjan Stevens, what a what a performer! I love him.
2: Yeah, he's a dude.
1: Yeah, he really. Oh, oh, have you have you sung with him?
2: No, only in the car.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what he says about Catherine Williams. I reckon. Oh, thank you so so much. Thanks, been, Catherine. I, it's, it's oh, it's absolute, a pleasure. No, it's it's our pleasure, and you're just amazing. And I really can't wait till we actually see you in person live again. And oh. it's not one of my favorite live tracks, and I tell this to everyone, and I listen to it loads. Is your your cover version of Dancing in the Dark? It's oh, just, thank you. Oh, it's. Just amazing. So, if you haven't heard that, have a listen. Catherine Williams, thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: What an episode! What a woman! She's just amazing she she's outstanding Catherine and I genuinely just love that voice
0: oh, and it's beautiful it's really distinct and really subtle and really tuneful do you know what I mean singers yeah. should be tuneful but hers is it's just really beautiful on the note oh lovely
1: yeah loads of loads of nuance and yeah it's just fabulous and uh, I mean I, I, I've forgotten just how funny she is as well oh yes she's a hoot that all scousers, are and that that was so much fun. But it was also nice to talk about um, some serious things as well, and and that links links into the last episode with Clint uh, Clint Boom, where we spoke about nerves. Yeah, uh, uh, and Clint Clint spoke about nerves and just using bravado. Yeah, you know, walking walking on uh, onto stage to a home gig, and just swallowing it and just going, come on, let's Boon Boon Army,
0: Army were, her, were his actual words. But I think he, he had that kind of, well, he was in a band, so it's a strength in numbers. But um, as a solo yeah. artist, it must be really crippling um, if if that's something that you, you have to deal with. Um, and it, yeah, it was really interesting hearing her talk about that. I mean, I know that when I've played in the past, certainly one one band that I played with, I played with a band called The Uplifters. And it yeah. was a time when I had not been playing the sax for for ages. I'd, I'd not played mm-hmm. it, and I realised that I hadn't had anything creative in my life for a significant amount of time—several years. And
1: was that just? Was that just circumstance? That yeah. You just,
0: yeah. Just things happened, and you end up just do just working, and you mm-hmm. kind of don't give time to the things that give you an outlet, an express an expressive outlet, and. Yeah. And and so I decided to kind of bite the bullet and I thought, right, I'll, I'll join a band, but let's join a band where I don't know much about the music. And I'd not really been much of a ska fan. I mean, I, I liked a bit of madness, but um, I, I certainly didn't know much about Bad Manners or the Specials or the Beat or Selector. So I joined the Uplifters and, um, and I was a complete fish out of water and really yeah. nervous, so much so that I hid behind the the big speakers um in some of the gigs that we played when you were
1: well, on stage
0: yeah yeah i, I just it just you hit yeah um and that was at the we used to play quite a lot of the, do you know the witchwood in uh, ashton ashton underline?
1: No. no i don't
0: think i do Pro- proper punk ska pub they, the pub oh, and, uh. and venue they used to um have scooter rallies that would congregate there and then head back there after they'd, they'd been to the seaside and back and yes. then they would put on these sky gigs and we played a few we did some support gigs with um with bad manners and um the beat and no um, way yeah did neville staple um as well but we did bad manners a couple of times and the beat a couple of times and it, yeah it was brilliant, such a lovely crowd the the scar crowd were beautiful.
1: but how else did you because it is good to learn about other people's coping mechanisms mm. when you hid behind the speaker, what else did you do because what, well, was I did,
0: it? well, no, so I hid behind the speaker, and then each subsequent gig gig, I moved slightly further away from the speaker and into the stage so that people could so, see what I mean one step yeah. at a time pretty much yeah it, it was that, that uh, yeah literally one step one step beyond, one step beyond the, the speaker um yeah so um that was it and also it it also coincided with me deciding to go full scar and getting the black suit and the thin black tie and um suiting up so, so I could almost yeah. it's putting a costume on um so I mean that was something that I could do with that band because we were like you know let's let's look the part. Um, yeah. But loads of people have different different ways of, of dealing with it, and it'd be interesting to hear if you know people listening to this have their own experience of of um, you know stage fright or nerves before a musical performance and how they either manage to turn it round or if they're still dealing with it and you know are, are, are looking yeah. for ways to, ways to address That's it. So
1: was always because w- when uh, although it was different between whether I was on stage or on camera um, and when I first started presenting on tv you know I couldn't go and hide behind the camera <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was more I think it was more physical so it was breathing and I'd have when I was sat in the makeup chair before going into studio it was taking that time to relax everything to to breathe and just feel prepared yeah now there's a prepared you can be because you we would record you know 30 40 links a day or however many Um so you can't you can't know all, all those all those words but I'd have the first one I'd have the first one and so I'd go in and I think a good start you know really helps so I'd go in relaxed I was confident with the first link rehearse it once and then boom put it on the camera and that would, you know, help me settle in. Yeah, it would be good to hear from uh, from listeners how they cope, uh, and also um, hearing from future guests, um, whether mm. they're performers, DJs, you know, authors. It, people will will face nerves in their working life and in other parts of life, and, and handle them differently. And it's it's good to learn and. and from from each other's experience, isn't it? So that was that was great, and loads of love, and and loads of thanks to Catherine for joining us today. Um, it was it, it was a privilege. She's wonderful, and uh, keep an eye out in the coming weeks um, for live dates. Uh, I'm not telling you anything. I shouldn't. There, I have no clue if she's going to be a it's not at all and um, but also keep an eye out
0: for her new book her first novel the yeah. armoring tide um which
1: uh, it does look quite special um I will, I will be getting myself a copy and i'll be getting myself a ticket to see her because if you've not seen her live you really should it's, it's a beautiful evening yeah well thank you chris thank you catherine and we'll see you all next time
0: thanks guys bye bye